All right. Good morning, familia. For those of you that are new to the church, my name is Hannibal, and I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, If there's anything we could do to serve you in any way, please let us know. Today we are continuing with um, through our journey with the Gospel of Matthew, and today we are finishing Matthew chapter 13. We are looking into the last section of Matthew. Chapter 13, and for those of you that have been walking with us on this journey, uh, you might remember that Matthew 13 has six different parables. Um, And in these six different parables, and you will see that later on as we continue to study the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is trying to explain what the kingdom of God is. A kingdom in which God is king, and because God is king, everything is affected by that, and everything submits to that. Um, Jesus also tells us that his kingdom was inaugurated by him, that in his life, death, and resurrection, he inaugurated that kingdom. That kingdom started, and as N.T. Wright would put it, uh, it was the beginning of the revolution. This kingdom that Jesus inaugurated or started will culminate, or its climax will be when Jesus returns for the second time and he will, make, he will make all things new, complete restoration of all creation. Now, the first parables, uh, or the first parable in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower, which we talked about it um, five weeks ago. Um, and there we see that the kingdom of God starts like a seed, which is an illustration of the gospel, working in the hearts of people. That the kingdom starts in the hearts of people. Then we moved into the second parable, the parable of the weeds, and then we talked about the seed and the yeast, and there we saw that this kingdom that is starts in the heart, heart of a person continues to grow until Jesus returns, and that, that kingdom is unstoppable, that God would accomplish his purposes for you, for me, and for this creation. But that at the same time, as the kingdom of God is growing, the kingdom of darkness is also growing, and that we as Christians, if you are a believer... We live at the intersection between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. But that when Jesus returns, the kingdom of darkness will cease to be. And everything that is sinful and hurtful and destroys you and the, the, the ones you love and everything in this creation will disappear. But if there's one thing that I don't want you to miss, though, is that one thing that all these parables make clear is that the instruments that God used, so one of the instruments, the main instruments God used in this kingdom is you and me. Is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of the main instruments God uses to establish his kingdom, to bring uh, heaven to earth, to renew all things, to make all things new. You are part of that. So the question that I'm going to try to answer today as we spend time together is this. What is it that God's people must embrace in order for us to become that? What is it that you and I, as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, must embrace to contribute to what the Lord is doing as he's restoring all things? And I think that the parables we're going to look at today, which is another three, will tell us three things. It's going to call us to give up small ambitions... It's going to call us to surrender to joy and beauty. And lastly, to remember God's treasure. Give up small ambitions. Surrender joy and beauty. Remember God's treasure. 
Let's go with point number one, give up small ambitions. So here in Matthew 13, second part, right at the end, we see these last three parables. Uh, and in these two first parables out of the three, we see the description of how radical the kingdom of people are. How radical Christians, when they embrace this concept, become. And we see it, for example, in verse 44, when it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, when Jesus is talking to his first uh, century audience... He is using a metaphor or illustration that they would understand that probably we would, we would not understand. See, back in those days, they didn't have banks or safety boxes or places where you could put your stuff away. Uh, so the way people would actually keep their treasures was actually to bury them underground. But if the person didn't have a family member or went to war and died in war or something happened and the person died and that person never told anybody about his treasure... It was common for someone to buy, to be in a place, and then walking around and stumble into something called a treasure. I mean, it wasn't that common, but it happened. I think that this is kind of the first time it was actually someone that was reading this parable, thinking about this parable that created what now we call the handheld, handheld metal detectors. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, this is a person that grabs this stuff that you buy at Walgreens. Not Walgreens, but maybe Walmart. And you walk around with this thing for minutes and hours and days and weeks and years, and you never find anything. <laughs> but the person is convinced that he's the guy from the parable. What this person felt to see is that this was the exception, not the norm. That this happened, but it was the norm. They forget that this is a story, made-up story. But Jesus wants us to see something, though. Is that this person finds this treasure, and the treasure is so amazing that he went and sold everything he had to buy this field to get that treasure. That's super interesting. Now, just in case you missed the point, then he brings the second parable. In verse 45, it says that, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for, a, for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Notice that this parable is a little bit different than the first story. Because this man was, in fact, looking for something. He was looking for a fine pearl. What happened to him, though, is that as he was looking for this something that is fine, out of a sudden he finds something better. So amazing, so beautiful that he has no issue going back, selling everything he had to buy that pearl. What is unique about this parable, though, is that this man already had a definition of what was good and what was beautiful. Did you notice that? He was looking for a fine pearl. What he did not know is that there was something that was more beautiful, more amazing, more powerful than what he was looking for. Now, 
the question we have to ask is this. What is it that Jesus wants us to learn from these two parables? What is the application of that for modern-day Christians? And I want to argue that there's at least two arguments, two things that, the, that Jesus wants us to learn. Number one is that the people of the kingdom know the difference between not just what is bad and what is good, but the people of the kingdom knows the difference between what is good and what is great. Did you see what these guys did? See, the first guy was not looking for a treasure, but found a treasure and sold it all to buy the land. But the second guy that even knew what knew, that he already knew what was good, he found something so good that he was willing to sell it all because he knew the difference between something that is good and something that is great. Now, I want to make the argument that every single one of us lived that way. I, I want to make the argument that what is happening here in this story is normal human behavior, that that's how we all function. Isn't that the reason why when you become parents, if you are a parent, you are willing to give it all for your kids and sacrifice so many things for your kids? Part of the reason is because we feel and understand that our kids are of great value. Isn't that true? Isn't this part of the reason why a grandfather and a grandmother do crazy things for their grandchildren, stuff that they never did for their own kids? <laughs> it's because they perceive that those kids are of greater value. <laughs> Isn't that the reason why a good soldier going to war? Because he believes that his country and his people are of great value. Isn't that the reason why you do so many crazy things when you're in love? Because you consider that that person is of greater value. Listen, I don't know if you guys remember the story of Jacob and Rachel in Genesis chapter 29. If you don't know, I'm going to tell it to you. It's a, it's a great story. So Jacob falls in love with this woman the moment he sees her. Like he's super modern. He falls in love within seconds. And he loves this woman so much that he goes to her uh, father, Laban, and he says, listen, I am willing to work for you seven years as long as this woman becomes my wife. And he works for seven years. And the, night of, and, and it's, and the text says that he was, he was so much in love that those days seemed like only a few days for him because he's love for her. Hmm. <laughs> is that romantic? But what happened is that that, in a wedding night, Laban, who has another daughter, which is an older daughter, Leah, instead of bringing Rachel to him, he brings Leah to him. And Jacob sleeps with this woman, and in the morning he gets up when light is out, and he goes like, what just happened? This is not my wife. That's super questionable to me, by the way. <laughs> I mean, how dark was that room? And unless Leah didn't say anything at all, which I'm suspicious that she didn't. Anyway, that's besides the point. That's extra biblical. <laughs> so now you have Jacob that is still in love with Rachel and works another seven days for this woman. What did I say? That's what I meant. Years. And you know why he did it? Because he considered Rachel to be of great value. 
You know, someone was telling me a few months ago how her and her husband started their relationship. And she was telling me that um, for many years, he would work all day and then work super late. And he would drive about 30 to 40 minutes to host, go see her. So just right before she goes to sleep, he could say, good night, I love you. And then he would drive another 40 minutes to his house. Listen, I know the guy. He's no Brad Pitt. <laughs> but I'll marry that guy. Like, who wouldn't marry that guy? Now, why did he do it? Because he considered that lady to be of great value. Because whatever we consider to be of great value controls our lives. See, kingdom people are willing to surrender their small, tiny ambitions when they find something that is much better, much greater than anything else. See, kingdom people understand that surrendering and giving up some small ambitions is actually not a loss. Because you gain something better. The second thing that Jesus wants us to see with these two parables is that kingdom people are willing to sell it all. You see how radical these two guys were? They didn't sell a fraction of their possessions. They didn't sell 10% of their possessions. They did not sell the leftovers. They sold it all. Kingdom people know that there's something that is so valuable, so great, that surrendering and giving up all is not such a big issue. So the question you have to ask yourself, the same question that I have to ask myself is, is there anything that I'm not willing to let go? Because that thing that you're not willing to let go, even if it's contrary to what God wants from you, that thing is what you consider to be of great value. Kingdom people, once again, Recognize not just the difference between what is good and bad, but what is the difference between what is good and great. And are willing to let it all go for the sake of that. Question. Is this easy to do? I don't know if it's easy to you, but I realize in my own heart and my walk with the Lord that that is not easy to me. There are some, I don't have any issues letting go bad things. But sometimes I struggle letting go, letting go of good things. And I settle for nothing. You know what it is that we need to start being transformed into the image of Christ? We have to be honest that that's a struggle. We have to recognize that it's a struggle. And today I want you to hear from a group of young theologians that have no issues recognizing that sometimes we could give good things away and sometimes it's just hard to do. Pay attention to this video for a second. So as we're doing this Matthew series, 
This next parable is on the hidden treasure um, and about a man who sold his field and all his belongings for, uh, for this treasure. We really just want to hear kind of your wisdom and your findings in this, yeah. Yeah. In this area. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if we go ahead and just start with some yeah. of these Thank questions. Thank you for being with yeah, us Yeah, thanks today. for being here. What is your favorite thing that you own? My iPad. Your iPad. iPad. My dog. My plushie that I had since I was little named Happy. My Pokemon cards. Uh, my stuffed animal. Jugar con mis dinosaurios. Un que squeaky. I have two stuffed animal dogs. That's your favorite thing? Yes. Yeah. What if I give you a crisp dollar bill? Completely yeah. crisp. You'd be willing to give it up for a dollar? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. For a dollar, you'd give up your stuffed animals? Yes. Wow, you do oh, not love that thing as much as you say you wow. do. I do, but if it's one dollar. It's our interview questions. Yeah. Sit comfortably. How would you want to sit in this interview so that you feel more comfortable? Yes. Are you comfortable now? What is your favorite thing that you own? Uh, my house. Yeah. Well, technically, my parents own my house, but I also own it. My whole family owns it. You'd have to give me almost. Like $10,000, that's how much my house costs. $10,000? I don't know, man. I'm not convinced you really love these things if you would only give it up for yeah, a what's, dollar. Yeah, something, what's something you love that you own? My bed. <laughs> Your bed? My bed. Mm, okay, that's wow. a good one. Wow. What if we gave you buried treasure? No. <laughs> No, no, he wouldn't be willing to. Wow. What would have to be in that buried treasure? Gold Heelys, a necklace that never changed colors when I shower, and glasses that float when I take them off. Forget about the money. What if we gave you mystery treasure? Would you give up your Nintendo Switch for that? No, treasure? because I don't know what's going to be in the treasure. Por qué? Would you be willing to give up your favorite thing, your bed, for the kingdom of heaven? Yes, because I want to go there. You want to go there? It has a softer bed. I like the offer, but I really love Poppy. That one's hard. Would you give up your favorite thing? You would. Why is that? Because God's more important than an iPad. El reino de Jesús para mí es lo más valioso del mundo. Porque ahí se pueden pasar tiempos con él, porque ahí está mi abuelita y yo podría estar con toda mi familia que ya se murió ya. So todas las personas que ya no están aquí, las cosas que perdimos aquí, eso no va a van a estar allá con nosotros. Eso es tan bonito. Y yo quiero que tú sabes eso. Porque hasta hay adultos que no pueden entender eso. Hasta para nosotros eso es difícil para entender. Pero el reino de Dios es algo que nunca va a parar, que nunca va a ser, uh, nunca va a ser malo para nosotros, que siempre va a ser algo que va a glorificar a Jesucristo. I don't really want to give my family all my things. Because some of those things I like a lot. I know it would be the right thing to give up all those things mm. for the kingdom of heaven. Can we be honest with you, Sally? Mm-hmm. You're not the only one that feels that struggle. Everybody feels mm-hmm. that struggle. We all want to keep and hold the things that we own.
What's the difference between those kids and us? On one end, they represent us. And on the other end, they say the things that we never say. I wonder if this is the reason why Jesus wants, wants us to learn from kids. Because they say things that we would never say. I know what the right thing to do is. But it's just hard. Question. How then we give up our small ambitions? Point number two. We need to learn to surrender to joy and beauty. It would be a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake to think that to give up small ambitions is an act of the will. It will be a terrible mistake to think that we can accomplish this thing and giving up our small ambitions by mere willpower, by trying hard, or by being disciplined. If there is one thing you can learn in this church and will continue to learn in this church is that our wills are not transformed simply because we say we are going to do it. Our wills are only transformed by when we have something in our hearts so beautiful, so amazing that influences our will. When we find something great that overpowers our will. Where do I get that from? Well, I think this is what Jesus says in these parables. Pay attention in verse 44 when he talks about the first parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now pay attention to the second part. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. If you like to underline things, underline, circle, cross, do whatever you want with the word joy. Because joy always comes before selling everything else. Joy comes over before being willing to do anything else. Joy is the driving force behind everything that happened after. Joy was the power and the inspiration to want to sell everything. See, this is the crazy thing with this man. He found this treasure, and this treasure was so amazing, so unique and powerful and perfect and fulfilling and flawless and satisfying and gratifying and pleasing and enjoyable and good. That selling everything else was no big issue. All because of joy. And Jesus explains the same thing in a second parable in verse 45. Again, he talks about this merchant looking for fine pearls. And in verse 46 says that when he found it, when he found the one of great value. Can you say great? He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Notice that this man was in fact looking for something. You know the word looking in the text is super important. Because it's the same word that we could use to describe a desire. This guy really wanted something good. He desired something good. How do I know that? Because the word fine in the text 
is the same word that can be used to, uh, to describe something that is good or beautiful. This man was, in fact, looking, desiring something good and beautiful. What he did not expect, and I mentioned this before, is that there was something much better than what he expected. The word great in the text can be translated as priceless, precious, costly, exquisite. This fine pearl, this pearl of great value, was so amazing, so beautiful, so perfect, so good, that he had to redefine what good is and what beauty is. Did you notice that? And he had no issues selling it all. What is it that they found? What was that thing? What was that treasure? What was the great pearl? See, if I ask many Christians today what that is, I think we will, quick, we will be quick to answer and say that the treasure must be that the Lord, that God can forgive us in Jesus Christ. I think that many of us would say that God has the power to change your problems and to get rid of your problems. I think that many would say that if you come to Jesus, he's going to give you your best life now. I think that many of us would say, well, if you come to Jesus, your depression is going to go away, your anxiety is going to go away, your pain is going to go away. I think that many of us would say, well, the greatest thing that we have is that we have Jesus, then we get to go to heaven when there's no pain, no struggle, all of, that stuff, all of those things. And I would say, those are good things. Those are good things and beautiful things, but that is not what the text says. The treasure is never what God gives. The great pearl is not what God gives. Notice that none of these guys, they say, wow, this treasure, with this treasure, I'm going to be able to buy this thing. Notice that the guy doesn't find this great pearl, the great value pearl, and says, well, with this, I'm going to be able to accomplish this and get rid of this. Notice that what they find is that the treasure itself and the pearl itself was, was, was what was amazing and beautiful and, and great. So what is it that Jesus is trying to drill into our minds? Listen up, church. That what gives you joy, everlasting joy, that what is, that what is the ultimate good and extremely beautiful, is not what God gives us. That what is the ultimate treasure or should be the ultimate treasure and the pearl of great value is Jesus himself. That he is so amazing, so unique, so powerful, perfect, fulfilling, flawless, satisfying, gratifying, pleasing, enjoyable, good, great, priceless, precious, costly, and exquisite is not what God gives. It's Jesus himself. And unless you have him, and unless you embrace him, you will never experience this joy. 
Church, throughout history, when you see Christians dying for Jesus, it wasn't because of what they found, what they found Jesus could give them. I want to remind you that they are dying for Jesus. You know what sustains a person even when you got to die for your faith? The preciousness of Jesus himself. You remember what I told you last week? What makes heaven beautiful is not just that there's no more sin there. It's that Jesus is there. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3? I mean, we read it during our worship time. Look at what Paul says. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. And not only he lost all things, but I consider them garbage. that That I may gain Christ. You know that in the context of Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about his reputation, his achievements, his place in society, his zeal for religion. And then he says, none of those things can be compared to the surpassing reality of knowing my Lord and Savior Jesus. Listen up. And not only they couldn't be compared to Jesus, but in his heart. They took not a second place or a third place or a fourth place, but to them, even those things he considered garbage. C.S. Lewis says, why is it that we settle for small things? Why do we settle for mud piles when we get him? Why find your ultimate satisfaction in a relationship or in a position or in an experience or in a gift or beauty or talents? Why settle for those things? Kingdom people become kingdom people by learning to give up small ambitions. Not because they're bad, but because those small ambitions compared to Jesus, they're nothing. And the only way we get to do this is by finding Jesus more precious, more beautiful, more amazing, more perfect than anything else. If you're not there, you've got to ask the question, why is it that I cannot give this up? And maybe, just maybe, you haven't found Jesus as beautiful as that thing. As fulfilling as that thing. And none of those things can give you what Jesus gives you. That is the sad reality. So then this leads me to the next question. How then we surrender to the joy of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus? Point number three, remember God's treasure. You know, I love these parables because you could, leave these par- you could read these parables in two different ways. The first way is the way, the way I have been explaining it, in which God is the object, Jesus is the object, and we see him as our ultimate treasure and as the great pearl. 
That's one way to read it. But I also think that there's another way to read it in which we are not violating what the text says. I want to invite you to consider that the only reason in how we become, we find in Jesus the ultimate joy and the ultimate good and the ultimate treasure is by also reading these parables through the lenses of God and you as his treasure and you as the person of great value. How about if I tell you that the way, another way to read this parable is to un, parables is to understand that God sees you as his ultimate pressure after Jesus. Where do I get that from? Well, let's revisit some of the parables again. And look at what it says in verse 44. It says that the person that found the treasure was not looking for that treasure. He found the treasure. You know the difference? He was not looking for a treasure. He stumbled upon it. You know why that's important? Because he tells you that the only reason why he found that treasure is because God wanted him to find that treasure. And look at it in verse 45. This merchant is looking for a pearl. For a fine pearl. He was not looking for a, great, for a, for a pearl of great value. He found the pearl of great value. You know why that's important? Because that's exactly how things happen for Christians in our relationship with Jesus. You were not looking for Jesus. You were not sitting in your living room wondering that you, wondering that you needed a savior. You were not walking in your life thinking, I need to be saved from myself and the condemnation of my sin. None of us did that. The only reason why we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is because he revealed himself to us. We found him. Because God wanted us to find him. Now, it gets better. Because not only God allowed us to find him, but shows us how much he treasured us by willing to sell it all for you. Where do I get that from? Well, did you guys notice that there's another parable there? Is the parable of the net. Look at it in verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And Jesus says that this is a metaphor to explain what the second coming of Jesus is when judgment day comes, in which God is going to separate the good fish and the bad fish. And then he says this in verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of age. Then angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Who is righteous? Who is righteous enough to not be thrown to the side? I'll tell you who the righteous people are. The righteous people are the ones that God allowed him himself to be found. The righteous people is the one that he loved so much that he did not hold anything back. The righteous people is the one that not only gets to know Jesus, but surrenders to Jesus and accepts him as the Lord and Savior. The righteous people is the one that believe in faith, and because of faith, imputed righteousness come to that person. The righteous people are the ones that God did not hold anything back for, and he surrendered his one and only precious son. The righteous people are the ones that understand that everything we are and everything we have is pure grace. 
The righteous people are the ones that understand and believe that God treasure you so much that not only he sold all, but he surrendered someone. I'm going to be honest with you. I love you so much. But I will never give up my kids for you. And yet we have a Savior that did. You know what's your greatest sin? Your greatest sin and my greatest sin is not just the things I do wrong. It's not, the thought, it's not just the thoughts I have and the behavior I have and the words I say. Your greatest sin and my greatest sin is simply this. That I don't treasure my God as much as he treasured me. That I don't love him as much as he loved me. That I still struggle selling it all for him because I forget that he sold it all for me. That's our biggest sin. What would have happened if Jacob works 14 years for Rachel? And Rachel says, I want, no I want nothing with you. Did you know that you and I have been Rachel? If that was Rachel. You know what it means to love and not love back? Think of Leah. Did you know that that woman wanted to be with him? And he did not love their back. That story is your story and my story. And God, knowing that, he still sold it all for you. Do you have an idea how much he treasures you? And this is part of the reason why we must celebrate communion. Because if you ever wonder, if you ever wonder what you mean to him, see it and taste it. Because in communion, not only we remember, but we get to see and taste how much God cares for you that he surrendered his only, his only son, he surrendered his body, and he shed his blood. This celebration is for Christians. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is for you. If you're not there yet, this is an opportunity for you to surrender your life to him. And before participating, uh, participating, I want to invite you to take a time of self-examination. In which maybe, maybe just maybe, you like me have not loved Jesus as much as he loved us. Maybe just maybe you like me have not treasured Jesus as, uh, as much as he treasured Let's take a few seconds to repent and to do what we have to do.
Lord, as we get ready to participate in communion. Make real to us the reality that the only reason why we found you is because you made it happen. We stumbled upon you. We were looking for something good and you gave us something better, someone better. Lord, please forgive us because we don't treasure you as much as we should. We don't love you as much as we, as you have loved us. And as we participate in communion, make that real. But at the same time, make real to us that even though we haven't, you did. You treasured us above your son and that's why you surrender him you you loved us even if it meant sacrificing your son Laura and we must remember that when Jesus goes to the cross he did that because he also treasured us and loved us He did that because he was in perfect union with the Father. What a great love. What a great mercy. What a great grace. I'm going to ask you now to remove the, the cover from the side of the cup where you find the bread. First Corinthians chapter 11 says that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me you may participate now we can remove the second cover of the cup The Bible says that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup set and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, we understand that just as these elements slowly enter into our digestive system. The gospel also slowly penetrates our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, we continue to pursue you, to seek you, Lord, in your word, to seek you in prayer, to seek you in worship, to to exalt your, your name, to get to know you, to fight for our hearts until he becomes, Jesus becomes more beautiful, much better, 
more great than anything else. Can you please make that happen? And we pray for that in the name of Jesus and the church says...